0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford, and I am coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And it is a great honor and privilege to be able to greet all of you who who are part of this fellowship. Our Saints Network family, both here in the United States and in many other nations, as well as our wonderful church family here in Dallas. We've just had a tremendous time together um, from just a little over a week ago until now. Our seminar uh, for the fall of 2023 has been convened and we still are marveling at the glorious things that God did among us and that he initiated for the going forward. And we're so grateful to God for his continued faithfulness. We, we have been blessed abundantly. Uh, and as is so often the case, and I understand this. Um, those who travel here, many of them stay through a couple of days. It used to be they'd stay for a week or two, which is fine. But um, it, it, and as much as we love everybody, it's just really a great thing when we can say, everybody's gone back home. And now we can. Get a little bit of rest, uh, perhaps reflect, and um, look look at what God said. Collect the uh, the insights, the the things that He did during prayer times, the way He moved during the meetings, and we can gain a perspective for what is coming, uh, what is uh, what is ahead, and so. I just want to thank all of our congregation and those of the network who labored alongside us in particular roles to serve during the gathering. It truly is a marvel to see the way that God orchestrates things. And you can you can see how our network fellowship has developed, especially I think over the years, but with the advent of um, being able to broadcast live, uh, in the early days, so almost 30 years ago, uh, we we didn't have that capacity. We had uh, cassettes, and then we had CDs, and um, we didn't even have cell phones really. Then the internet was a was a glimmer. And so, being able to do real-time things, not only with our broadcasts, but Zoom uh, Zoom gatherings, where, where there's teaching and interchange going on weekly through many different countries. When everybody comes together, it's, it's a marvelous thing because we're not necessarily recapping all the things that God had been showing from his word over the past six months or so. Everybody's current, and we can, we can build off that and bring, um, receive fresh revelation from God from his word, and that that's an amazing thing. So, thanks to God first of all. Thanks to all of you who uh, are laboring so faithfully for his kingdom and um, we look forward to moving together on behalf of the kingdom through the months ahead so many decisions to make so many plans to make so many writings so many positionings of schools Um, it's, it's good it's good. And but there's a lot of work ahead. So we we've got to be faithful. We've got to keep ministry. Today, I wanted us to direct our attention to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is the second to the last book in the Old Testament. It's not positioned there um there's no real chronological flow of the of the Old Testament. <laughs> to some degree, there is, but it's you know it's just a collection of anointed writings. And we know from history that Zechariah was he really represented um, a first fruits of the, the going back from the from the captivity back to Jerusalem this isn't a history lesson we've got a lot to cover today if you don't know these things utilize the many materials that are available to you online or through the, the uh, commentaries that we've encouraged you to invest in learn the history of, of how the the people came back but it all began according to the timing of God to his timetable and to intercession and spiritual warfare. When I look at the church today I marvel at how what I just said is ignored. Um, you think about the prophets who declared the 70 years And you think about then Daniel and Ezekiel who experienced phenomenal things before God in the spirit realm, in communication with God, in conjunction with the angelic uh fasting at the behest of the Lord, having visions and dreams being caught away into different places um, that, of God's choosing. And then you read Zechariah here, and you see all the prophetic significance. You see the the deliberation of the the, the angels in the trees and uh, in the first part of the book and then chapter three Satan standing before the throne and a contesting regarding Joshua and Zerubbabel and Zechariah. And then you come into chapter 4, where we're going to be today, where an angel is declaring things to this man. All of these things that I just mentioned are what we are we're supposed to be learning from and we're supposed to recognize that these are operative measures within the kingdom of God and we love to quote scripture about um, no no scripture is just for personal um, application it's yes for you but it's for everybody because God's word never passes away but then we look at these kinds of things and so many Christians just toss it out like it's allegory or some poetic myth or some wacky dream of a person and they hesitate to say that it whether it belongs in the bible or not because that's sacrosanct but whether it's going to happen today or not oh it can't be and then they all relegate it to once jesus came i mean they totally forget about what happened with paul they totally forget about what happened with Stephen. They forget about what happened with John the Revelator. They, they forget about all the things that are there in the Word after Christ arose and ascended into heaven. Now, I know that people can go nuts with this kind of thing. And I know that there are those that just love sensationalism. But if we find ourselves somewhere in the middle of the practicality of the word, we would have to recognize that everything that's in here are principles of the kingdom. And we would do well not to just relegate them to some historical understanding or to sing hymns about them. But if anybody ever dare say something like this is happening today. Oh, they're branded as a as a as a heretic. These things are real. And I say that with the strong caveat that it must be based on the scripture and it must be ordered by God. But we're living these days right now. And I I I look at Zechariah 4, and we want to go through this today, and we want to talk about some of the principles, but we're just going to be scratching the surface as to how this applies for us. Let me set the stage to say that the things that God has promised for these end times have to have these principles in active, in- Active application in order for the prophecies that God has spoken to come about. Yeah, God prophesied 70 years. Why didn't they just wait? Sit on the back pew of the synagogue and just wait. If God didn't want partnership with his people, then what's all this stuff about? Zechariah could have said, ah, I'm just going to wait for the promise. God's going to do what He's going to do. We'll just sit here on our blessed assurance and wait on it. That's not the way God moves. Ask Daniel. Ask Ezekiel, who was Daniel on Holy Ghost steroids. Ask Zechariah. And Ask the scripture, mostly. So, Zechariah represented a forerunning. Daniel and Ezekiel really represented um, an intercessory partnership with God that was necessary leading up to that. But Zechariah, Zerubbabel, Joshua, um, Haggai, all of those individuals were really forerunners. And so here you have Zechariah 4, 1. The angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep, and said to me, What do you see? And I said, I have looked, and behold a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it, seven lamps thereon, seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, the other upon the left side thereof. And I answered and spoke to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? And the angel that talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these be? And I said, No, my Lord, and Lord there is Agon. It's it's somebody who is in an authority in the line. It's a derivative. It's it's an etymological cousin of Adon, which Adonai, which means everybody being in their place. So Zechariah recognized that this angel was appointed by God to be speaking to him, and he was acknowledging the authority of that. So um Verse 6, he answered said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, and by my spirit, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof, with shoutings crying, Grace, grace, unto it. Now, that's not the answer that Zechariah was expecting. He was speaking about this candlestick, which really represents the seven spirits of God, those lamps that burn around the throne, which are God's eyes, God's ways, the person of who God is. But the olive trees, the two, one on the right and one on the left, are fueling as it were, the burning of God's ways. One is on the right, prophetic. One is on the left, fulfillment. And when the conversation entails, what are these olive trees? The angel will answer that in a little while, but his answer immediately is not by might, by power, by my, my spirit. We just read this. Who art thou, O great mountain? The angel seemingly answers something else, but he really is giving the essence of the answer. The angels, this is angel speak. I mean, they they ask questions, they deliver messages from God. They, they're sent to minister to the heirs of salvation without removing the necessity of faith. Angels see things in a different perspective because they're just functioning. They are just functioning on behalf of what God's will and his purpose is. And this angel is attempting to describe what Zechariah's function was and what Zerubbabel, who was... uh, basically the governmental leader under Shealtiel who uh, in conjunction with his forebear Shealtiel who was sent back initially um, to to really govern and make the way and Jerusalem was a mess at that point so he says not by might or by power but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts you should know what Lord of hosts is by now but it's not going to be by your individual strength or by the culmination of you putting together uh, a group of people by your directive but it's going to be according to the Spirit of God which has just been communicated in the description of these lamps is that making sense? So the angels basically focusing on the ways of God and the lamps of God and the olive tree representatively that is on the right and on the left. The right represents prophetic, the beginnings, the aman, the the right hand of the throne of God is belief in the Old Testament. It's faith. It's the beginning where God... uh, Uh, offers to you if you're willing in prayer the ability to the privilege of partnering with his hand and on the left is fulfillment now arguably Zechariah was and Zerubbabel and Joshua were indicating the right hand essentially everybody indicates the right hand because once God starts something he's going to finish it but in time the left hand of fulfillment comes. Now God had already begun this process when he prophesied the 70 years but then once again uh, when the 70 years were coming to an end there was the left hand of bringing the people back but here is Zechariah again fulfilling the time of small beginnings which is mentioned here in a couple of minutes that's the right hand. See the ways of God are continual are you with me you should know all this we're still winding up to what i really feel we're supposed to focus on today but you have to put the setting you have to you have to you have to lay the setting so to answer the question of who these two olive trees were the angel talks about the spirit of the lord and And then he says, Who are you, O great mountain? Now, who are you is... I looked and looked and looked at this, even in... um, I say lexicon all the time, but definings of words. And this is almost without exception attributed to a personage not a rock formation so who art thou is indicates a name indicates an intent indicates um, presumed authority and the angel is talking to a mountain or a mountain location in this way. I think that's important because there are enemy forces in high places. We know from Daniel that the prince of Persia and the prince of Grecia were specifically mentioned. These were uh, 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 most, most definitely demonic beings of of authority in the enemy kingdom who were resisting and um, who had place uh, which mountains um, represent that so this angel is addressing the authority of whatever this mountain is And the angel says, You will become a plane. Now P-L-A-I-N. This this word means to make something easy, something convenient, something it's it is regularly associated with Sadaka, Sadek, which is righteous vision or the fulfillment of what God wants. Righteousness is the privilege of partners. The first measure of righteousness in the scripture was when God told Abram to look, and Abram looked and believed, and God said, this is righteousness. Um, so it's that principle there, the fulfillment of that. But the mountain will become a highway for the Lord and a highway for the righteous nation. Um, And when Jesus talked about, you say to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and don't doubt in your heart. He was really addressing those types of spiritual warfare, which are what we're engaged in now. So, this mountain uh, is a personage. By virtue of what who art thou, the address you could say mr mountain that's that's a dumbing down, but it's an address. what is your name what do who do you think you are uh, what right do you have to be here? Uh, you are going to become what God has envisioned, and you're you're going to move, and the opposition that you have uh, portrayed uh, in the way of what God wants blocking the way of what God wants uh, is, is going to become null. Now, how is Zerubbabel going to do this? Zerubbabel is going to bring forth a headstone a cornerstone, a pinnacle of the face of God. A pinnacle of what God's ways have determined to achieve. Jesus, the chief cornerstone, of the architect, uh, the empowerer, uh, that cornerstone was rejected by the builders. The builders were the angels righteous and those that would rebel. But the enemy rebelled against God's objective through the Son of God for us and for the kingdom. So here is an enemy force who's resisting and the angel says you're going to be removed out of the way. Resistance will be futile. You, it will be a righteous path and the headstone is going to be established. How's that going to happen? shoutings a result of grace grace now we looked at this on Friday afternoon in the beginning of the first session which was a session on prayer both of those were and how that this shoutings is not just making a lot of noise the shoutings were this term which root the root of this term is something that begins like a stream and then gains um, volume, which is really what we do. It's what the river of God does, which emanates from the temple in heaven. And this word shoutings, I just said the root, is utilized four times in the Old Testament. And here's basically what it means. It was, first of all, for a, the sound of the temple. Job said that. So it's it's the noise of the temple. It's also uh, used to describe when a city is being warred over. And. It's the cry of, of contention. It's also used to describe someone who might be driving a chariot or a, some other kind of uh, vehicle and they are shouting to clear the way ahead of it. They're not waiting. The pedestrian does not have the right of way here. And, and then, of course, here, in conjunction with with grace, grace. Now, grace is always moving forward. It's one of the designations of one of the seven spirits of God. Grace is always looking to the new day, the the new horizon. It's the partnership with God alongside supplication. And grace is um, um, a double issuance here which signifies two things. First of all, it signifies intimacy because anytime there's a double issuance in scripture, it speaks of drawing near and intimacy. But it also speaks about how that, that person who's gained intimacy with God laid the groundwork of partnership when they just grasped the concept and were willing to embrace it when it looked like nothing. That's the way grace is. And so by the time the culmination of grace comes and the intimacy that has been derived through partnership with God and the authority that is uh, inherent within that, that point of fulfillment of timing, intimacy with God, and authority that is finally granted from the right to the left, from the beginnings to the fulfillment, grace is going to be achieved and that's what uh that's what this process of the rising of the the river of god the 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 power of of warfare the power of driving something through to completion the power of what that temple in heaven represents and functionally how it functions and then this I guess this could easily be said to be the authority by which we speak to this mountain this demonic personage, to make it give way to surrender the things that it has absconded to surrender those things that do not belong to them that were created by God for His glory and for us to partner with Him alongside the holy angels all of this is is right there and then verse 8 the word of the Lord came to me saying the hands of Zerubbabel have, have laid and are laying the foundation of this house his hands shall also finish it that's right and left and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you who has despised the day of small things They should be rejoicing, seeing the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with these seven. What seven? These seven lamps. Well, what are they? The eyes of the Lord, which go to and fro throughout the whole earth. Do you see all this? I like that the angel said that the hands of Zerubbabel have laid this. This is the beginning of the book. This isn't an editorial on the game last night. For the angel, it's already a done deal. He's describing how things in heaven work. There's never a doubt in the angelic mind. And um, so don't despise the process. Don't despise it. Don't ignore it either. The church is left-handed. The church wants things and they want them now. The church despises the day of small things because they, they want the big thing. and They want it now. And they hop from place to place, wherever the hot thing is. And you want people to actually partner with God? Wow, well, forget it. We'll partner with God for what we want. I'm just speaking from over 40 years of pastoral ministerial experience and longer than that being in the church some of you squirm around and make faces when i talk about this somebody has to say what the bible says there were a lot of prophets who said this and i'm saying it now but it's in harmony with the scripture who are you are you willing to partner with god are you willing to do what god says to do in regard to what he's saying are you just hanging around for the hottest, greatest, new things so you can jump on board and think you're important? I mean, this is real, folks. This is an angel. What's he talked about, though, so far? He's talked about how the ways of God are depicted in, in the heavens. He's talked about what we'll talk about these olive trees here in a minute and what they are. He's talked about demonic mountains. Or not not demonic mountains, but demonic influences that control spiritual precipice points. And remember Jesus also was taken to an exceeding high mountain in the temptation in the wilderness, and Satan offered all of these touch points if Jesus would proscuneo before him. Remember that? What is proscuneo? It's becoming as nothing. You know, the churches Anytime we teach on proskuneo, which is everywhere, whether it's shakha in the Old Testament or whether it's the myriad number of instances, and I mean myriad number in the New Testament, you, you always get people say, I'm not doing that. We face that right now in Brazil. But God searches for that. Jesus said that to the woman at the well. And the great number of times that whole discussion was about proskuneo. Where do you worship? Do you worship in this? Proskuneo in this mountain. You proskuneo in Jerusalem. The day is coming and now is when the Father is going to find people who will proskuneo not just in these places, but all over the world. That's Jesus talking. The enemy knows there's power in this before God. In the end time, every time the mark of the beast is mentioned, it's encoupled with proskuneo, do you recognize that? Look it up for yourself. And the Bible says that in the end time, the enemy will have people receive the mark and proskuneo before him and if they don't, they're killed. So there's power in this. It's a requirement of humility and intercession. There have been great movements that have happened in the past 50 years people that say they're searching for God. And one of them that I'm aware of, without being critical, I'm just reading the box score here, made it, uh, nobody was allowed to lay on their face in their prayer rooms. I understand that, maybe people camp out, they want to sleep or do something they shouldn't do. But you're basically saying, okay, these prayer rooms where we're ministering to God, the eyes of the Lord are looking for somebody to lay in their face, but you're not doing it here. Now, I'm not saying they do that out of rebellion, it's ignorance. But the point is that the enemy has tried to mask the power of this. So here is this place small things. And then, and it is equated with how the seven spirits move, which is this candlestick. So they continue. So what is, what, well wait, what is that noise? What is that shouting? Is it just being loud? Blowing the shofar real loud? I know that that's in the Bible. But no, this shout is the noise of the temple. This shout is, comes through grace, grace. If you aren't partnering with grace, grace, your shout is not communicating this. Look at the scripture. They'll bring forth the headstone of the ways of God, therefore, with shoutings, crying, grace, grace, unto it. It doesn't say with shoutings, listing off your favorite scripture. It doesn't say with shoutings, arguing your case before a court. It doesn't say with shoutings, trying to skeer the enemy. Or whatever. To get the crowd excited. To give... The, the nervous people, something to do. The antsy people. Let's make noise and lots of it. We'll feel like we've accomplished something. Grace, grace. If you ain't grace gracing, you ain't shouting in the way God wants. you just making a lot of noise. Now, am I misreading this? Or is that what it says? And what is that Shouting. I just told you. Look it up. Four instances right here the noise of the temple, the warfare for a city, and the driving forth of what God's chariot is bringing. Make way. That's pretty powerful. What's that sound of the temple, what is that? Well, we know from the description of what's going on in the temple, it's measured by the jealousy of God. It's also measured by a reed named the jealousy of God that's hollow, which would represent the stilos, or the pillar of the temple. We also recognize that the noise of the temple encompasses the water that flows out of the eastern part, moves under the court of the Gentiles, which is reserved for us, which is the tabernacle of David, moves past the throne through the sea, uh, the, the glassy sea, and then it moves on into the power of, through paradise and into the nations. We also know that there are people and angels that are proscuneoing therein. Read this in the Bible. Sometimes, will you? What are they doing in proselying? Well, they're interceding. (laughs) All of that, and more, is going on there. That's a whole lot of noise. It's cumulative. But grace, grace, is the way you earn that privilege before God. It's not of works. This is a partnership. But the way you find your place at that position for the headstone is through embracing grace when it seems like you're foolish, where you're weeping and people ridicule you and others who are having fruit but aren't doing what you're doing or mocking you or belittling you. Are you willing to endure that? Read about Hannah. Read about so many others. Who walked in grace so the double issuance here of grace is is the is the visa authority of this shout and this is how the mountain will be removed and it's not by your strength it's not by your your earthly human strategy but it's by the Spirit which is the seven spirits of God. That's wonderful, isn't it? So then, verse 11, Then I answered and said, Well, once again, what are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said to him, What be, what be these two olive branches? which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves. And this angel answered to me and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my lord. He said, These are the two anointed ones that stand, Ahmad, by the Adon, Adonai, of the whole earth. Hmm. Now, what does that mean? we already talked about right and left but this these two anointed ones anointed ones are the sons of oil sons who yield themselves to produce oil oil here is from the olive tree and the olive tree is a big study that through the anointing of the olive tree, you know the olive comes from a root that means a blo- a bloom, a blossom, or uh, an epiphany of learning. It's it's the oil that kept the lamps burning. It comes through pressing, but it's also a point of beginnings. Kings, priests, and prophets. They they are the ones that are anointed and that's positioning of authority in God for specific tasks. The first mention of the olive leaf in the scripture you remember what it was was through the dove that went out from the ark and it was wasn't a branch it was a twig and the dove found that for the purpose of the nest the dove does not eat the olive leaf. That's what helps him build the nest. So it's a beginning. And um, it, it's just so interesting. We know the doves represent the sons who are set upon accomplishing the peace of God. And that's a big study in itself. We've done it. But it's it's a wonderful partnership again regarding being willing to embrace the ways of God, even though you may think, well, why wasn't it an eagle? Well, that's a powerful bird. Well, God's not looking for a powerful bird. He's looking for one that will partner and be helpless, relying upon the ways of God. It's an interesting thing in, um, in the book of Judges, that really wild parable where they said the trees were talking about who would rule over them. And The first one was to the olive tree, the second was for the fig tree, the third was for the vine, and then the bramble took over. The olive tree is a point of beginnings. This is a point of yielding yourself. It's a point of pressure. Um, Mount Olivet represents a lot of that. Uh, Gethsemane, of course, is the main thing that we recognize, but as we should. But the olive is the anointing of people in authority. Um, the fig indicates revelation, waiting on God for what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, hearing his voice, moving in his time frame. We've studied this. Studied it a lot over the past couple of weeks. The vine represents the wine. Wine really represented a a commune and uh, a changing of mind. A changing of seasons a harvest so you got the new wine you've got new wine skins Jesus first miracle says you you need to be washed and through that I'll produce the new wine those firkin bottles uh, were waters of cleansing and the Lord changed that into wine Christians spend more time arguing about sobriety than they do what wine really means. So those three things were authority. They've got to be in place. You've got to have people that are willing to be pressed to serve as kings and prophets, priests. You've got to be willing to wait on God and hear from him and do what he says. And you've got to be willing to produce the harvest of the Lord. God is a great vine dresser. He's a great husbandman. Lots of parables about that. And they weren't making Welch's grape juice, but that's rejected and the bramble takes over, the thistles. So it begins with the oil and you've got to be willing to be pressed out so that the new Willingness to move in the light of the Lord, even if it's just on you, will be seen. Samuel was responsible for that in the tem- in in Shiloh. Because the word of the Lord, the breakthrough, the Peretz word of the Lord was rare, because people weren't in the Peretz. They weren't in the gap. Um, so you're gonna be willing to start. That's what the olive represents. You know, when, the, in, when Ezekiel's day, when he saw the glory of God lift from Solomon's temple and it went to the Mount of Olives. Look at it. To the mountain of the east. Well, that's the Mount of Olives. It went there. Jesus is coming back there and he will split that mountain. Before he went to the cross, that's where they arrested him. But in the specific place of the Olives where he was willing to welcome a new thing by allowing himself to be broken, pressed. And even as we talked about at the seminar, that, that mountain represented three major places, Bethany, which a lot of people say it was figs, but it really was palms, the breakthrough. Then you had the Sanhedrin, which was the first ripe figs and they mismanaged the authority. They, they they did not go along with what God wanted. They weren't hearing something fresh from him. And then the olives, those three things. So, the olive trees on the right, on the left, here are really um, sons, Ben, not just participants, not just members of the family of God, but sons who God can trust the Ben. Who are willing to be pressed out on the right, the beginnings, and on the left, the fulfillment. And that's what fuels, by God's choosing, the ways of God. And that's what welcomes the burning of the lamp of the Lord, the fire of God. This is through His Spirit. But grace is the function of it you know i i play a, a lot with studies and you know we looked at lots of different trees that and their significance in the bible and i tried to align the trees that are evidently mentioned and what they represent in scripture because if when you understand that from a scriptural perspective then when they are specifically mentioned in the scripture you understand further what God is really doing in that context of that passage and I uh, I think that the olive represents this measure of grace because if there's ever a point of you yielding yourself in the beginnings to be broken and pressed. Well, isn't judgment and burning the first one? Yeah, but that's that's what God prophesies. That's the mishpat, that's his purpose and what his function is. Yes, it will be when you're proceeding from the throne, but somebody's gotta recognize that if you're gonna give yourself in grace, if you're gonna be broken and pressed out, there has to be a base of a promise the purpose that you're desiring to fulfill and then it comes to what I think the fig would represent in wisdom and revelation um, I, probably the uh, um, well I, I won't go too much in, in arbor talk today but, but the point though is that the, these olive trees on the right and the left the main thing with The main thing for this is that they're sons, not just kids, not members of the family, but sons, those who have been entrusted with family authority, and they are invested to fuel the ways of the Father, and there's one on the right and one on the left, so you've got to believe that what God begins, He he finishes, and Um, whatever God begins and he finishes, then the plowman overtakes the reaper and he's beginning again if you're willing to go. So, but this is the angel talking about the ways of God, the eyes of the Lord that go to and fro throughout the whole earth. And the angel speaks. He's talking about how this works and he's showing these The sons who are obediently serving the ways of God in their obedience and their sacrifice are fueling the fulfillment of the ways of the Father. Let your light so shine before men. They see your good works and glorify the Father. How's that light come? Darkness, gross darkness. My light will shine through you, on you. The... uh, the ten virgins five foolish five wise five foolish ones who don't want to participate in the mysterion of God anymore they get antsy they think the Lord's delayed and they don't have oil why don't they have oil? because they're not paying any price all of them were tired do you see this? So, while the angel's describing this, he says that these two sons of the oil are serving the Adonai of the whole earth. They're fulfilling their role. And in the middle of all of it, the angel speaks to the demonic entities that rebelled against this whole process and he he doesn't call them by name but he addresses the name by which they were created and what authority that name represents in that high mountain and he tells them how they're going to be defeated because of what's going on in the temple because of what's going on in grace and those who will not just give it the old college try until it gets too hard and then they quit. They're not getting enough recognition, so they're going to launch out and do what the world's doing, what the cool kids are doing. Those who, those who um, endure to the end will have the victory. That's grace, grace. And what's the victory? The mountains move, the way of the Lord is created, and the headstone that was rejected of the face of God will be established. Don't despise this even though it looks small. Don't despise it because grace always looks not only small but non-existent, looks barren. But God sees you. You're being pressed out. So, you know, that's the thing when we anoint people with oil. It's not some magical elixir. It's certainly not some essential oil that has a a chemical, magical property to it. Order this essential oil today. But wait. If you order in the next 10 minutes and give your best offering... We'll double your order for a small fee. Not arguing some of the qualities of essential oil, but oil on your head just gives you a greasy forehead. Unless it's you saying what God has called me to be, I'm willing to not only become that, but I myself will be a son of this. And I will yield myself, because I'm fueling the ways of God. It's a privilege, it's an honor to do that, because he's chosen that. So this angel, in typical angelic fashion, is asking questions, he's giving answers that aren't necessarily what Zechariah thought he was asking for. But every part of this was about what are these seven lamps? And what are those olive trees? Well, how are they representative? And the angel interjects all of these deep principles of the scripture to explain it. And then he says, This is a result of sonship, fulfilling what God has called you to be, as he uses Adonai there. And Angel cannot resist that the shoutings from this temple, hey, you mountain, I know who you are. I remember you from before the rebellion. I've seen what you've done. You will be removed. Why? Because of grace, grace, and ultimately because of what the Creator the ever-living Son of God has ordained according to the Father's ways. Isn't that wonderful? So here we are today and we're, we're enjoying the privilege of serving God in these hours. Are we being faithful to do what God has asked us to do? I love that God has chosen to share with us this understanding of shoutings for this time because it's how grace is going to be proclaimed and how it's going to welcome in the cornerstone and the mountains will be removed well, I remember all those times when I was a little kid singing this hymn in church. Is there a mountain in your way? You can feel a, a brass band playing boom, 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 boom. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And, I don't know, probably hundreds of times seeing that. That was a a favorite of Pentecostals, because it's by my spirit. And I bless that. It had meaning for us. But aren't you glad that God, in these hours, is showing us, point by point, the context of that, and the meaning of this. And... Let us be faithful. Let us be faithful to it. And not lose hope. Well, thank you. Um, Appreciate you spending this time in the Word today. We pray blessing over you. And we look forward to sharing this partnership together with our Father increasingly in the days to come so until next time god bless goodbye